Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 39 to 56. It's on page 1591 of the Bibles on your chairs, and it will be on the screen behind me as well. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has ruled, uh, brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, re- remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. That's out the way. <clears throat> All right. Well, um... Last week, uh, we looked at um, the first part of Luke chapter 1. We looked at God's great story unfolding in history. That's what we were looking at. And we looked at how it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. We looked at how uh, this means we can have certainty even in our uncertain times today. Uh, Well, this week, we see how Mary responds uh, to what she sees God doing in her life and also in the lives of God's people. Now, Mary's song, it's a pretty well-known one. It's also called the Magnificat. Or as I said in the staff meeting um, during the week, I said Magnificat. Um, and Carl, he kind of said when he was at college, when people called it Magnificat, everyone, everyone else would start meowing at them. So if that happens today, feel free. You can just start meowing. Uh, but it's basically a word that means to magnify or to, or to glorify. But I just want to take you for a trip down memory lane for a bit. Uh, back to the time when, you know, TV shows had really great theme songs and really great openings, you know, like in the Brady Bunch, um, remember that? Or like the Simpsons with, with Bar in Detention kind of starts with that. Or a much better example, it's going to come up on the screen as a photo, uh, Friends. All right, now, this is a, it's a bit of a test, we'll see how it goes. If I start singing this, what do you do? Okay, so no one told you life was going to be this way. Well done. Well done. The music, the music starts playing. You know exactly what to do, right? But then, but then the, the scene kind of starts to, to unfold. The characters from Friends are in view. They're hanging out on a big couch. And then suddenly they're playing in a water fountain. They're having loads of fun. Uh, in, in the opening scene, it really sets the expectations for what this TV show is, is really all about, doesn't it? Six friends living in Manhattan, going through the ups and downs of life together. Uh, and the line of the chorus helps set the scene, doesn't it? I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Friends is all about a group of friends going through the ups and downs of life, mostly in a pretty comedic way. 
And from the outside, uh, outset, because of the way the TV series starts, like you, you know what to expect from Friends. Uh, well, in many ways, uh, Mary's song sets the expectations for the Gospel of Luke. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think you could expect Mary's song could have started exactly the same way as the Friends theme song, right? So no one told you life was going to be this, right? Like, I doubt Mary thought her life was, was going to be where it is at the start of Luke. But you know, in, in Netflix, uh, when you start watching a show like Friends, and the theme song starts, and there's that little button down the right-hand corner that appears, what does it say? Skip intro. And it's tempting to do that here, isn't it? Because most of us know the song. Uh, We've read it many times before, especially at this time of year. We know that Mary is joyful. We know that she's praising God and we get that. But don't push that skip intro button just yet. Uh, Because Mary's song isn't just about Mary praising God. That's what we're seeing here. But it helps us understand what to expect from Luke's gospel about Jesus. And it really helps us to understand what his kingdom is like, what the kingdom of God is like, and how different it is to the kingdoms of the world. Mary is far from being in a comfortable and safe position in these verses, at least from the point of view of the world she lived in. From the point of view of the world she lived in, she was in a real pickle. Unmarried yet fallen pregnant, that spelt trouble for someone back then. The consequences for that were actually life-threatening. But Mary sees things a bit differently, doesn't she? She's stepping into the unknown, probably not in the most comfortable time of her life. And you can imagine with quite a lot of uncertainty about what the future will bring, yet her response to who God is, is this. My soul glorifies the Lord. From the perspective of the world she lives in, Mary probably should have been going, help Instead, we read, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary is bursting with praise and thanksgiving at what God has done in her life. But she's got, the, she's got things the wrong way up, surely. She's at risk of being a social outcast or of being stoned to death. An angel has told her that she is carrying the Son of God. The thoughts that would be kind of going through your mind, right? The, the unknowns about what it's going to be like being the mother to this child. Surely her response is, help. I need help. Please help someone. But it's not. See, Mary's response does not follow the patterns of the world that we would expect. See, the line to remember this morning is this. The pattern of God's kingdom, should be on the screen, does not follow the pattern of the world. So our response to God's kingdom does not follow the pattern of the world either. The pattern of God's kingdom does not follow the pattern of the world. And so our response to God's kingdom does not follow the pattern of the world either. And Mary's words from the outset reflect that. My soul glorifies the Lord. See, Mary's song challenges us to ask the question, what dictates my response to God? My response to God about the arrival of Jesus. I don't know about you, but currently I'm feeling 
quite busy, I feel quite tired and a bit overwhelmed by December. And I feel challenged by that question. What dictates my response to God's? Is my posture the same as Mary's? Will I say my soul glorifies the Lord? I'm not saying, can I pretend everything is okay? Because that's not what Mary is doing. But how do I answer that question? Or to put it another way, in my response to the busyness and tiredness and in that feeling of being a bit overwhelmed in December, do I respond to God's news of a saviour according to the patterns of this world or according to the pattern of God's kingdom? How would you answer that question? We've looked at Mary's praise for the work of God in her life in verses 46 to 50 and we'll come back to that. But first, let's look at the the pattern of God's kingdom versus the pattern of the world in Mary's song. It's about halfway down on your outline if you've got one of those. From verses 51 to 53, we read, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now that language in verse 51 of God performing mighty deeds, that is all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament. We see similar language in Exodus. And it's in the context of rescuing his oppressed people. In Exodus chapter 6 verse 1, God says to Moses about Pharaoh, because of my mighty hand, he will let them go, will let the Israelites go. See, God exercises his might on behalf of those who who are in need. I'll say it again, it's important to see here, God exercises his might on behalf of those in need. God is quick to respond to those who approach him in need or, or with fear, meaning a reverence for who God is as mighty gods. In verse 50 we read, he shows mercy from generation to generation. But in contrast to that, in verse 51, to those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, we read, they are scattered. Think of the person who, when they imagine who God is, they actually imagine themselves next to God's. And they think, what what possible need could I have for him? What possible need could I have to listen to him? I don't need to go his way. I can go my own way. Two kinds of people, two different responses to God and two different responses from God. It's important here to understand something of the Israelites' context for this song and what what Mary's talking about, that the Israelites are under the dominion of the Roman Empire. They're taxed really heavily and really unfairly. They're treated quite violently at times if they don't do what they're told. And they are a scattered people, that the kingdom of Israel has been, been shattered. Rome occupies everything. This is the world they live in, the strong prosper, The rich take their fill, the rulers, those in power, oppress those who don't bend the knee to them and do what they're told. And the Israelites, in the midst of this, are waiting for a king to come who can do something about it. And God, through the angel Gabriel, has told Mary that that king is not only coming, but will be her son. The angel said to her in verse 30 of Luke 1, it should be on the screen, Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, one of an oppressed people uncertain about what the future holds, finds out this news, and her response is, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Mary knows what the pattern of the world is. The strong prosper, those who ignore God seem fine, those with power can abuse it, those with money can have their fill, while those who are poor and in need and who are oppressed have nothing. But God's kingdom and Jesus turns everything upside down. Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has has sent the rich away empty. The pattern of God's kingdom does not follow the pattern of the world. Mary sees that this is and she rejoices. And it's all tied to one person, to Jesus, the unborn baby in her womb, the promised king, the son of God. These themes of of an upside down kingdom is all throughout the book of Luke as Jesus grows up as he begins teaching about what the kingdom of God is like and who the kingdom of God is for in Luke chapter 18 a bit later on uh, Jesus is teaching some people who are feeling very confident in their achievements who are feeling very confident in their morality in their own perceived righteousness before God it should be on the screen he says this to them says two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other, a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were the, were the scum of the earth back then. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Then we read, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's flipped upside down. In the very next passage in Luke chapter 18, there are people bringing their children to Jesus so that he might place his hands on them, so he might bless them. His disciples see this and and they rebuke them. I mean, this is Jesus, right? He has far greater things to worry about than all these children coming up to him. See, children weren't really counted as being um, that important until they'd grown up back then. But Jesus sees this and he calls the little children and he says this. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. See, any kingdom in the world calls for contributions from its citizens. And the more you can contribute, the greater your standing. The more wealth and influence, the more power you have, the more you are seen to matter. Jesus looks at the weak of society, at the needy, at the poor and the sick, at those who strongly believe that they cannot offer what they need to offer to get into God's kingdom. He looks at those whose greatest need is for sin to be dealt with. And he says the kingdom of God is not for the mighty. It's not for those who can prove their worth. 
It's for those who enter in total and utter dependence on the God who stands at its gates with open arms. For those who have trusted in God their Saviour. That's why Mary is so joyful. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Jesus is it, is the answer. Verse 54, we read that God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Everything has been leading to Jesus. God's great big story that's been unfolding finds its fulfillment in him. Jesus is it. Jesus is the answer. The pattern of God's kingdom is dependence on nothing but God. The pattern of the world is thinking that you don't need God and that everything you could need for life is right here. But the pattern of God's kingdom does not follow the pattern of the world. And so our response to God's kingdom does not follow the pattern of the world either. See down the bottom of your outline, it should say our theme song. I said at the start that I don't know about you, but currently I'm feeling quite busy and and very tired and a bit overwhelmed by December, and I feel really challenged by that question. What, what dictates my response to God? Will I say, my soul glorifies the Lord? Can I say that? If I'm to respond to those feelings of being busy and feeling tired and overwhelmed by life, according to the pattern of the world, I imagine right now for me, that could look like saying, my soul glorifies time. Because so much of that feeling of being overwhelmed and tired and busy is tied to a feeling of lack of time. I could also say my soul glorifies money because if I had more of it, I reckon some of those things that I'm concerned about will will just ease up drastically. But what we have seen reflected in Mary's song is that the patterns of the world are revealed by God to be patterns that do not align with His kingdom. So Mary could have said, that's so great that I'm going to give birth to the Saviour of the world, like, awesome. But here's a list of things I'm going to need to get through this. I need good health cover. I need access to a wonderful dentist for Jesus. We can't have the Son of God standing up there talking to people on stage with crooked teeth. We can't have that, can we? I need the numbers of the best schools. And Jesus is going to need good friends as well as a good education. So obviously we're going to need a lot of money, God, to get those things. Uh, But none of that kind of talk is coming out of Mary's mouth, is it? Instead, it's my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Mary's posture before God is one of humility and total and utter dependence. But it kind of didn't need to be. It could have easily been the other way. See, Mary from verses 39 to 45 uh, sees Elizabeth. And the the baby in Elizabeth's womb, we read, leaps. It'll be on the screen behind me. And Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. For why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. That's John the Baptist as a child, responding to Jesus' presence in his mother's womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, the one who'd prepare the way for Jesus by calling people to repentance. And Elizabeth feels this response of John, and she gets it. 
She doesn't say, blessed is she who is worthy of such a great gift. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary, in her response, could have said, yes, my soul glorifies the Lord because he has recognized my worthiness to be the mother of Jesus. But no, she calls God her saviour and says he has been mindful of her humble state. Mary is lowly in society, a Jew living in a time of oppression under the Roman rule, uncertain about what the future holds. And God has been mindful of her humble state. She glorifies God because he is her saviour, no one else. He has sent his king to save his people. He has done this thing. And he hasn't done it for those worthy. He's done it for those desperate. Those who are more desperate than they know because of the barrier of sin separating them from God, separating us from God. And what Jesus' arrival means, what he will do means, is eternity in a kingdom where Jesus is ruler, where everything is flipped on its head. And where entrance into that kingdom is not by worth, but by faith in the King who is worthy, worthy of our praise as our God, worthy of praise as our Saviour, who died for our sin and rose again to new life. So the pattern of this world would be for a king to come in with his sword held high, to kill his enemies, to be served by his citizens. The pattern of God's kingdom is that our King Jesus came into this world and was killed. Also that our sins could be forgiven. And our response in recognising our great need for forgiveness is not to become worthy by the standards of the world. Rather, it's by turning in repentance and faith to the King who looks upon those who are in great need of forgiveness and chooses to show mercy and grace when his right is judgment and wrath. The consequences of this are eternity with this King. The consequences of seeking life outside of Jesus is death. And so I find myself asking the question in this busy and tiresome and somewhat overwhelming time of the year, am I responding to God's kingdom according to the pattern of this fading and dying world or according to the pattern of God's eternal and perfect kingdom where I belong if I put my trust in Jesus? Back in Luke 18, Jesus is approached by a young ruler and they ask Jesus, this should be on the screen behind me, they ask him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, you know the commandments, right? You you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. And the guy's like, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Surely he's right, He's he's all good. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, the rich young ruler, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Back in Luke 1, Mary exclaimed, he's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. But most of us in this room, we've put our trust in Jesus but we live in one of the richest parts of the world. So I think the way we kind of read these verses a little, probably feels a little bit differently to when Mary was reading these verses. And our context is that we are wealthy 
in comparison to many, many other people living in the world, but also even living in Adelaide. I wonder if one of the things that stops us from being able to honestly and boldly proclaim along with Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, is that the sorts of things often attached to wealth also call for this response from our hearts. And so often that is the response we give them. It might be, my soul glorifies the security that I have, or my soul glorifies the good standing in society that my wealth has given me, or my soul glorifies the future that my wealth has given my children because of the education and opportunities that I have been able to give them. And security and good standing in society, a good future for children, these are, these are awesome things, these are wonderful things, don't hear me say that they're not. But the young ruler's problem is that when Jesus says to him, leave it all behind and follow me, the young ruler is sad. It's not joyful like Mary is. And I wonder if the thought of the possibility of leaving behind the things attached to our wealth makes us sad in the same way. But that is the pattern of the world. In Luke chapter 1 and in Luke 18, I think Jesus presses on the sore point for many of us. Uh, But it also may not be something wealth has acquired for you. It may be a relationship you are in now that you know does not operate the way God's Word calls for it to operate, but is in accordance with the patterns of the world. It may be found in popularity and your your reluctance to say anything about Jesus because it might mean losing that popularity. There are many things it could be. But Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. I think our question is, do, do you want to be able to join her in speaking aloud those words? And I think the answer for all of us is yes. And the good news is, we can. See, Mary reflects on the goodness of God and His mercy and His grace in this passage to her. We can also and should also reflect on the goodness of God and His mercy and His grace to us and on our very real and desperate need for it. I think in times like December, I'm especially caught up in the rush of organising and buying and this year in particular, some of life's curveballs that have been thrown into the mix. And those things can become all-consuming and as the pressure mounts, the temptation is to turn to the quick-fix promises of what we can get in this world. But Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Promises of life in Christ, of a saviour in Jesus. And thousands of years later, we know that God has still kept his promises to Mary. We know the end of the story of Luke. He's kept his promises to Mary and he's kept his promises to us. And we can pray, God, help my soul glorify you. Help my spirit rejoice in you, my Saviour, because I know you are mindful of me. Please help turn my heart from the vain things and promises of this world to my Saviour, Jesus, and the glorious reality of who he is as my King. I wonder if you're up for this, this week, to stop and sit in the busyness and to reflect on God's goodness to you. And if you need words to help you reflect, come back to Mary's song. 
It's a crazy time of year, but it's the right time of year, like it always is, to remember who it is that we belong to. To remember that it's not the fading world that we belong in, but we belong in the kingdom of God. We've put our trust in Jesus and we praise Him for it. And we pray that He might turn our hearts that little bit more toward Him and a little bit further away from the things and the patterns of this world. See, we can join in with joy in the theme song of Luke, despite those uncertainties, despite those stresses of life, because we know what it is our God, our Saviour, has done for us. I'm actually going to pray that God would help us do that right now. Let's pray. Our Lord God, please help our souls, our whole lives, Lord, to glorify you. Help us rejoice in you, our Saviour, because we know that you are mindful of us. We praise you as the God of promises and the God of salvation and life. We praise you that our King Jesus has made it possible for us to be with you in new life for eternity, away from the struggles of this world, for all of those who have turned to him in repentance and faith. Lord, please help us notice those things in our lives that seek to dominate the place that only you should have in our hearts. And please replace the desires for those things with right desire, desire for you. We rejoice in who you are as our loving, merciful and gracious God, because we know that there is no other name in heaven or on earth through whom we have redemption, through whom we have life. Amen.